Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Well, If you'd like to open your Bibles, please, to Ruth chapter 2, we'll continue in learning from this wonderful woman, Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, and uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. First, let's pray. Father, help me as I bring the word. Help everyone in this room, Lord, as they hear the word, to hear your voice through the word, and help us all, Lord to increase in our knowledge of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. Ruth, chapter 2, and verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned, and in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Okay, that's as far as we read. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, we already covered that. (laughs) I said, well, that was such a nice parking spot. I think we'll go back into that one a little bit. (laughs) Anyway, we've been studying here the personalities in the book of Ruth, and learning so much about what we should do in life and, and what we should, how we should be. And now in chapter two here, God has brought our focus down to primarily three persons that he'll use for the rest of this books to, to teach us. And those are the persons of Naomi and Ruth, the Moabitess and Boaz. So with eagle eyes now, we're fixed now on what God wants to show us First in the person of Ruth in verse 2, where we read this, that Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And then she said unto her, go my daughter. So here's Naomi, here's Ruth. They've arrived in Bethlehem. They've come back to Bethlehem. There was no welcome home shower. There was no shower in Mater Hall at 2 o'clock for Ruth and Naomi. (laughs) There was no sisterhood committee from the synagogue bringing them casseroles, the mark for Ruth and Naomi. There was no care packages waiting for them every day. There was no meals on wheels that arrived for them every day. There was nothing. And it was a very tenuous time for Naomi and Ruth as they must have food. They had to have food to survive. And Naomi feels the need for food, and Ruth feels the need for food. And it's in this setting now that Ruth now speaks to Naomi in verse 2 with her request. She says, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. 
And with these words here that Ruth has said, we see a believing woman in Ruth who trusted God for her safety. She was asking Naomi to go into a field of men, and it was a very dangerous situation, but Ruth trusted God for her situation. She knew that with God protecting her, that she could be safe. And that reminds me of the time in El Cajon, near Avocado and Chase, near where we live, there was a dry cleaning store there, and a man from India was running that, and my wife, Cheryl, she decided to take some clothes there for dry cleaning. So she walks in, you know, the bell rings, she stands at the counter, the man looks at Cheryl, he steps out from behind the counter, and he said to Cheryl, you look sad today, let me just give you a hug. And Cheryl said, I'm not sad. I'm happy in the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) And the man says, no, you look sad and you look like you need a hug. And then the man moved between Cheryl and the front door and started to move his hand to lock the door. But Cheryl was able to grab the door handle and she got out of there and she thanked the Lord that she was able to escape. And so later, one day, she came home and she told me that, you know, that man's dry cleaning store, it's no longer there. The storefront is up for a lease. And then about a month after that, she brought me a paper, a newspaper article from the San Diego Union. It was about that man. And as the article reported how that man had just been convicted in El Cajon Superior Court for raping a woman in his dry cleaning store, and he was sent to prison. Now, she was protected from that man's intentions because she trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and even spoke his name in that time of danger there in his store. Well, in the same way, Ruth knew that even though she was going into a very dangerous situation of a young foreign woman going into a field of men, she trusted in Jehovah Jesus for her protection. And that's why she was so bold to ask Naomi for leave to go into the field because Ruth knew that they needed food, that she and Naomi needed food. And she says to Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. Ruth has no idea whose field she's going to end up in. She doesn't know. Naomi didn't tell Ruth that, you know, you be sure to go find that field of Boaz there because he's a distant relative and you go glean it. She didn't say any of that. And Naomi made no mention of any Boaz to Ruth as much as Ruth knew that that she was just going to go into some man's field and she was trusting God that God was not only going to protect her in that field, but God was going to lead her to just the right field and God was going to touch the heart of the owner of the field so that she'd find grace in the sight of the man. There's a lot of trusting for Ruth to do. I mean, the protection from the evil man and the guidance of the right field and touching the heart of the man. I mean, God is trustworthy. That was a lot of trusting. But God never said to Ruth, he'll never say to us, you know, you're kind of overrunning the trust meter here a little bit. You know, he said, you know, you didn't put enough coins in the trust meter for all that, you know. He would never say that to Ruth because God would never say that to us. As a matter of fact, to the contrary, God puts it this way about trusting him or over-trusting him. He says in Malachi 3.10, but he says to Israel, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. See, when God says, prove me, that's God saying, come on, bring it on. <laughs> that's what God's saying. Malachi 3.10. 
He's saying that. He's saying, he says, bring all the tithes in the storehouse. There may be meat in my house. Prove me. Bring it on, he says. Prove me now herewith. See, trust me by bringing all the tithes into the, my storehouse so there'll be meat in my house. Prove me. He's saying, prove me. Now, you bring those tithes in the storehouse, you're going to see what God calls. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse. And he says, I will, he says, see if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing and there won't be room enough to receive it. What's God saying here? I got my hand on the latch of the windows of heaven. In fact, God said in Malachi 3.10 that he didn't just have his hand on the latch of just one window in heaven, but God said that he had his hand on the latches of many windows in heavens because he said, prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. See, in Malachi 3.10, God is revealing himself to just be itching. He's just itching to open those latches of the windows of heaven. He says, heaven. He says, there's blessings inside here. There's blessing in those windows of heaven. And he's just itching to open those latches so they let loose all those blessings. And from Malachi 3.10, we have this picture of God frustrated because he wants to open the latches of the windows of heaven. And all he needs is for someone to trust him. That's all he needs is someone to trust him. Someone to step forward and says, I'll trust you. I'll prove you. And what God did not say in Malachi 3.10, was that you bring your tithes into the storehouse and I'll just barely crack open a window or two for you. He says, and so a blessing can dribble out. And it says, and it, he, said, he didn't say that if they brought their tithes, then he'd kind of like sit there and say, now let's, let's meter out this blessing here. A few drop, that's enough for them. They don't even miserly hold it back. That's not God. He said, God doesn't do that. He says, he says, he doesn't say dribble. He says, pour pour out. He says, I'm going to bring, pour, bring your blessing. pour out a blessing. And the word pour there emphasizes to us that God said what's going to happen. He's saying that he just enjoys to watch his people scramble to store the blessing because he said, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a great time to see you get so much blessing. You won't even have room to store it. You won't even, that's going to be, that should be your problem. That should be our biggest problem. So how are we to see God do this? How is God going to open up these latches on the window of heaven? How are we going to see the blessing just pour out on us? That's the question. How are we going to see so much blessing that we won't be able to store it? Simply trusting. Just trusting God. Trust God with finances. That's what it's talking about in Malachi 3.10. Finances. Give him the tithes. The tithes, those belong to him. That's his by right, the tithes. The offerings, he deserves those. In addition, the tithes and offerings, the offering, he deserves those because he's so good. He says, Ruth, simply trust God. Trust God to protect you in that field of men. Trust God to lead you to the right field. Trust God to touch the heart of the field owner so that you, he see, you find grace in his sight. And if we asked Ruth today, well, Ruth, what does trusting God look like? Show me a picture, Ruth, of what trusting God looks like. Ruth would reply, I'll show you what trusting God looks like. Trusting God looks like me, a foreign woman, now going to the field and gleaning ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. That's what it looks like. What does trusting God look like for us? We, you know, we, we don't pass the plate here at the chapel, never have. So trusting God might look like us putting our ties in that little box in the back of the chapel there. They're giving God what he deserves, our offerings, giving what he's worthy of. 
Trusting God might look like abandoning the worry over the future and singing and rejoicing to God, like the song was just saying there, save, 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 and singing about it. Trusting God might look like giving time to serve God. For example, we have in our bulletin this morning about the CEF Good News Clubs. There's good news teachers that are needed. There's so many schools in the city that need a good news club after school so that kids can learn about God. Trusting God might look like giving time to do that. Trusting God might look like giving ourselves to go to the mission field to reach the lost. That might be also what God is calling to. And then Ruth says, there's one word that's very revealing about the heart of Ruth in verse 2. And this is the word which she says, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. This is word now. And it tells us so much about Ruth. She didn't say, Oh, let me go to the field or, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I think it's a good idea. We'll go to the field someday. She used the word now. That word in Hebrew is the word na, N-A. And it has an inference, the word na, it has it's this inference of urgency. There's something very urgent about this. That's the word that Abraham used when he was afraid that he would be killed so that Sarah could become another man's wife. And Abraham used the word na when he said, Say, I pray thee, na, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. See, Abraham's afraid. He's deathly afraid that he's going to get killed. So he says, he's not saying to Sarah, you know, it might be a good idea if you just kind of hit me and said, no, he says, now this is urgent. Now you tell him, you say, you're my sister. Nah. And, see, and he uses this word of, of urgency. See, when he got to the end of his life and he says, well, my son doesn't have a wife. That's a terrible crisis. I know I have a son like that. Anyway, Abraham did too. Don't tell Joseph I said that. <laughs> but Abraham uses the word of this word of urgency when he asked Eliezer to take the oath and take the oath, Eliezer, put your hand under my thigh and swear to me, take the oath that you're going to not take a wife from the Canaanites, but you're going to go to my family, my people, and you're going to get a wife for Isaac there. And in Genesis 24, 2, a passage we've been studying in Sunday school, where it said, and Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, nah, it's the word nah, thy hand under my thigh. See, nod has this meaning of urgency. The action has to be taken immediately. There is no tomorrow. It has to be done now. That's why Ruth uses this word to Naomi, that it was urgent that she was asking to go to the field. Nah, she said now. She says now, it's translated now. Now, she says, and it shows that Ruth was not a procrastinator. One thing you can say about Ruth, she's not a procrastinator, and she, it shows Ruth, she has this willingness to not delay but to take action immediately. See, Naomi and Ruth, they're hungry. They're very hungry. And now is the time to do something about that hunger and not to wait one minute longer. So Ruth was this now type person. She was this not person. And she's an example of the person that God expects when it comes to salvation. See, so the matter of salvation is a not issue. It's a now. You see, that's why he says in 2 Corinthians 6.2, for he saith, I've heard thee in a time accepted. See, God talks about this accepted time. A time accepted, and in the day of salvation, have I succored, or have I helped thee? Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. See, that verse is talking about an accepted time. And, it's, and twice in that verse, it's making these words, behold now, behold now. 
See, the time of salvation is a behold now issue. It's a behold now. It's not a behold tomorrow. It's not a behold when I get get older in life issue. It's not a behold later issue. It's a behold now issue. It's not. Behold now is the accepted time of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. Salvation is not to be put off to a later date. The acceptable time is now as far as God is concerned. And the acceptable time is spoken about in Isaiah 49, 8, where God said, thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and a day of salvation have I helped thee. See, the acceptable time is when God will hear. See, this is the time when God will hear. And he says, in the acceptable time have I heard thee. That's what the acceptable time is. It's the time when God will hear. In an acceptable time have I heard thee. That's why today is the acceptable time. Because today, God will hear the sinner. Today is the day when God will hear the sinner, when the sinner calls. That's why Romans 10, 13 is true. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why is it today that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved? Because today is a day when God is hearing those prayers. He's made it possible for those to seek him, to find him. He said in Jeremiah 29, 13 through 14, and you shall seek me and you find me when you search for me with all your heart and I will be found of you. He makes himself findable. See, today is an acceptable time because God makes himself findable because an acceptable time to be saved because of what he said in, in Isaiah 61 through two, where the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking about himself He says, the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. See, the Lord Jesus Christ proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord, the time to be saved. That's what we do. What we do, we proclaim to the lost. Now is the acceptable time of the Lord to be saved. Now it is, right now. See, now's the time for man to gain all the benefits of the cross. They are obtainable now. Why? On the cross. He accepted the nails to bind him to the cross so that we could be freed. He accepted himself to be bound so that we could be freed from our sin. See, on the cross, he was made sin for us so we could be made clean. See, on the cross, he carried all of our burdens, he carried all of our sorrows, so we could be unburdened from those, and we could be happy. On the cross, he took this crown of thorns on him, so we could be crowned with the, as royal sons of God. See, on the cross, his heart was broken, so that our hearts could be made whole, our hearts could be mended. See, on the cross, he was wounded and he was bruised and his body was broken so that we could be healed from all of our sins. See, those are benefits. Those are the benefits of the cross, which is why Isaiah 61, 1, 2 says that he was sent to the meek, to the brokenhearted, to the captives, and to those who were bound. He wasn't sent, by contrast, to the proud and those who are not brokenhearted and those who don't see themselves as sinners in prison by their own sin and shame. He wasn't sent to them. But for those who know that they are a sinner, now is the time to gain all the benefits of the cross, of his cross. 
Now is the acceptable time because now is the time when God says, he'll hear. He will hear. But the acceptable time does not last forever. There will come a time when the acceptable time, it's over. And every sinner who dies in his sin, that acceptable time has come to an end. And the end of that acceptable time of being heard by God is described for us by King Solomon in Proverbs 1, 24 through 30, where he says, God says, because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand, no man regarded, but you said it not. All my counsel, you would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. God says, I'll laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as a desolation and your destruction cometh as whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then, he says, shall they call upon me, but I won't answer. They shall seek me early, they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge, did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. See, every sinner who dies in his sin, he calls out to God for help. He prays the sinner's prayer. And he asks for the mercy and the salvation. But it's too late. The acceptable time is gone. And God has said that he will not hear. And so every sinner who dies in his sin, he seeks God. He tries to find God. But God says, I won't be found by him. I won't. See, that was the tragedy. That was the great tragedy over Jerusalem that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came to Jerusalem and he looked on it, he cried. He wept loudly, it says, very loudly. People heard him as he was weeping in Luke 19, 41 through 44, when it says, when he was come near, he beheld the city. We're talking about Jerusalem. He beheld the city and wept over it, saying, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they're hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee, compass thee about, keep thee on every side. They shall lay thee even to the ground, thy children within thee. They shall not leave thee in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. See, that's a tragedy. See, it was all a matter of them not knowing what he called thy day, what he called the things that belong to thy peace, what he called the time of thy visitation. See, and he lamented over their refusal to know. He said, they didn't want to know. He said, if thou hadst known. See, they didn't know because they didn't want to know. I remember... One time uh, when I was in the Philippines, a Filipino pastor came to me, very troubled look on his face. He said, I met my first Jewish person. I said, well, how was that? He said, I'm, he's very disturbed. I said, why? And he said, well, I gave him the gospel. And the man looked me in the eye and said, I'd rather go to hell than believe in Jesus Christ. Then when Jesus Christ, when the Lord Jesus Christ says, even thou, he said, if thou hadst known, even thou, See, he's emphasizing the individuality of it all. See, the gospel is all about the response of the individual, not the group. It's about the response of the individual. God sees each person 
as an individual, not as a group. And that's why Romans 10.9, it really emphasizes this when it says that if thou shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Because every person's an individual. Eventually, every person is going to find themselves in the situation of Philippians 2.11 where it says every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. You're invited to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for the third annual Taste of Creation Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction. It's Saturday, June 3rd at 6.30 p.m. This benefit dinner is in support of the Light and Life Foundation ministries that encompass the Creation and Earth History Museum, Friendship with God Radio Program, and Israel Restoration Ministries. Come experience gourmet and unique local restaurant foods, and we'll have Bible teacher Tom Cantor from the Friendship with God Radio Program speaking, along with musical performances by the De Lamont Strings. We'll have an amazing night of silent and live auction items, including tailored guitars, vacation getaways, and other exciting auction items. So if you'd like to attend this event, or if you're a local business or person that would like to donate and sponsor a product or service in support of the Creation Museum auction on Saturday, June 3rd at 6.30 p.m., then call us with your support or to reserve your seat. 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org. creationsd.org. creationsd.org.